Well, I'd like to welcome you, O future teachers of mindfulness meditation. I'm Tara Brock. And I'm Jack Cornfield. Warm greetings to you. To support you in your training, we've created a special podcast series of the best wisdom teachings from previous years of our teacher training. Now we know that sometimes simply listening and not having to watch a screen is a really good way to open, receive, and learn. The wisdom you'll hear is timeless. So while you may hear references to time, you'll easily connect with the truths that are being shared. May this rich selection of some of our favorite training sessions deepen your understanding of mindfulness and compassion and bring a new dimension to your teaching. We hope you enjoy these special recordings. Many blessings. Welcome everyone to this evening's broadcast of our Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Certification Program. I'm Steve Lassard, and I'll be your host this evening. Tonight, we are privileged to have Christiana Wolf joining us. Christiana is broadcasting live from Los Angeles, while I and the SoundShoe team are all here in our Boulder studios. Christiana is an internationally respected mindfulness and Dharma teacher, trainer, speaker, and author. She is a senior teacher at Insight LA, as well as a senior mindfulness-based stress reduction trainer. She is also on the faculty for the Center of Mindfulness at the University of Massachusetts Medical School. Welcome, Christiana. Hello. Thank you so much for having me tonight. I'm very happy to be here. Um, and I guess I will start. So um, hello, everybody. And I would like to start us all off with a brief meditation. So I'm inviting you to just find a comfortable posture, closing the eyes if that feels okay. And just starting by bringing awareness into the areas of contact that the body has right now with the chair or whatever you're sitting on. Feeling the feet on the ground. Your seat on the chair. Maybe your back is in contact with the back of the chair. Feeling into your hands in this moment, just noticing what they're in contact with. And just allowing the ground and the chair to hold and support the body in this moment. So there's nothing you need to do right now. And then connecting with the breath the sensations of the breath in this moment.
And just allowing yourself to be here, the beginning of this lecture, just taking a pause, letting go of everything that came before today. and everything that might come after. And as we're starting this lecture, I want to invite you to just take a moment now to reflect on Pain. We were talking about pain and how to work with pain, with mindfulness and compassion, this lecture. So how about you? Have you ever had pain? Of course. Do you have recurring pain? Or what we call chronic pain? And what comes up as you reflect on this pain in your life, physical pain? What's your relationship with that? How do you work with that? And then as a second question, like why is that relevant for you as a teacher of mindfulness and compassion? So in a moment, I'll be going to bring a chime here, and then we're going to end this short meditation and reflection. So, pain. Pain is a huge topic. And before I dive into this, I just want to share a little bit about myself and how I personally got into this whole topic of pain and mindfulness. So, a lot of people come into this topic because they suffer themselves from chronic pain. I don't. I've been very lucky. I've had, of course, periods of pain over my lifetime and at several occasions pain for months where I wasn't sure if it would go away. But so far, um, I have been spared from actually suffering from chronic pain. So how did I get into this? So my background is actually in medicine. So I'm a trained gynecologist and I was trained in Berlin. You probably hear that um, from my accent, that I do have an accent in English. 
And um, I worked in um, gynecological oncology. So that was my specialty. And I was a Dharma practitioner. And when I was working back then, before we moved to Los Angeles in 2003, I um, never taught mindfulness to my patients because that would just have been inappropriate because I was a Buddhist practitioner. And the whole thing of like MBSR, secular mindfulness, that just wasn't on my radar at that point. So when we moved to Los Angeles, which I thought would be just for a year. And then I would go back to working as a physician in Germany. Um, That never turned out that way because what happened was I really got into this whole field of mindfulness and in particular MBSR. And I thought in the beginning that uh, being a really serious Buddhist and Dharma practitioner, that the whole like secular mindfulness was not really the real thing. And I got convinced otherwise when I um, actually took the training uh, at UMass, where now one of their trainers. And what happened was that at some point, my teacher here in Los Angeles, Trudy Goodman, who is friends with John Kabat-Zinn, suggested, she's just said, like, Christiana, just go take that training. You have nothing to do here other than taking care of your baby. So learn how to um, practice MBSR. And I did that. And what I found was like how profoundly life-changing MBSR in particular. So that was my doorway into secular mindfulness is for people who come from all walks of life. And a lot of them are really, really suffering because like, as you know, like if you're asked to uh, practice for 45 minutes every day, if you're willing to do that, you really have to have a really good motivation to do that. So what I learned was that um, the people who come to MBSR in particular are often at their wit's end. They're often sent by their doctors and the doctors have told them, well, you have to learn how to live with that. And that often is um, some form of chronic pain. Of course, there are many other diseases, but in that way, I got into this whole whole a world of like working with people who have chronic diseases and who suffer from chronic pain. And what I learned was, which of course has been shown in uh, quite a number of studies now, is that when we use um, compassion, if we use mindfulness, and we relate to what is happening happening to us in this new way. So basically one of the mechanisms is like we learn a new coping skill, right? What happens is that we change, when we change um, how we relate to what's happening to us, our whole experience can um, change. And what is interesting that often for people who take um, MBSR, like they will report that their actual pain levels, um, they haven't changed. So what we call like the objective pain, whatever that is, I'm not sure that exists. Um, but they say, well, the pain level actually, they don't go down. But what happens is like my quality of life got so much better. Um, I'm so much more engaged. I enjoy life more. I do things that I thought I would never do again. And I think that is a huge step forward. And this is something that uh, we really want to um, enforce and strengthen. And in particular, now that we really have like this um, pain medication prescription epidemic 
all over the world, in particular here in the U.S. So it's like even like a like a um, national health emergency. It's been considered like this now. And so mindfulness can actually be really helpful if we can teach people how they can be with their pain in a different way and in that way maybe be able to take less medication. I wouldn't go like with people who really suffer from immense pain that they are able to go off medication. But what I found in working with people over the years that it often it's a balancing act right so the stronger their meditation practice is they can often like go down with their medication and then of course depending what else is going on in their life so it seems to be like like definitely like the mindfulness and compassion practices has can really be like a very strong tool in the if we want to call it a tool in the toolbox of working with um um, with chronic pain. So chronic pain is a huge issue. It's um, so the statistics say that like one out of three people in the US and I think actually the numbers for Europe are very similar suffer from some form of chronic pain one out of three that's a huge number. So for the US that means about um, 100 million people, suffer from pain every day and most of them they don't really have tools how to work with that so many will use of course pain medication many will self-medicate in some form and we have a lot of problems around this so the way that we're working with mindfulness, um, we're coming in from, from different angles at this. And I would like to actually start with one thing um, that I know Tara has taught as a concept, which is, um, so like the, the saying is often uh, like pain is inevitable, suffering is optional. And um, when I first heard that saying, I was a little bit... Um, I don't know, like I would probably say like insulted thinking like, well, if that was so easy, like why are people not doing this? Like, why can't, can't I do that? And so I happened to find this um, equation that actually the meditation teacher Shinzen Young came up with a lot more helpful. So I explain this to you. If we were in a classroom together, I would write this on a whiteboard, but this is um, too distracting to do this year. So um, basically, so the equation goes like, Suffering equals pain times resistance or worry. And here we're really talking, and of course, so um, we can also use this with emotional pain, but I want to use this here with, um, with uh, physical pain. So basically, I mean, we all know this, that um, pain is a constant in life. So if I don't have pain right now, definitely somebody else has pain right now. I will have pain. I have had pain. So it's just like something. It's not a question of like if, but when. So um, the pain, if pain is a constant, then I can look at the level of resistance or worry that I have about a pain. So what happens is, and this is very, very helpful in the classroom. So if you are teaching this to people, people will really relate and engage because this equation is actually very commonsensical. So if I have pain, so sorry, can't do anything about the pain, and I worry about it a lot, or I have a lot of resistance against this pain, okay? So 
the resistance goes up. In your experience, and we'll ask that the class, in your experience, what happens to suffering? Do you suffer more? Do you suffer less? Of course, common sense says suffering goes up, right? So if I have the same amount of pain and for whatever reason now I have less resistance to it or I just don't worry about it so much, who knows why? Maybe I slept better last night, right? What happens to suffering? Suffering goes down, right? So, but then, so that makes sense, right? So that there is a relationship uh, between how much I struggle with something to the amount of suffering that I have in any given moment. So, but now let's just really take a moment and think about, so if this, is, if this really works, pain is a constant, and I have pain and there is no resistance, zero resistance. So in an equation, if I have a zero, right, zero times something, what happens to suffering? And at this point, right, you can maybe see that in your own experience, you go like, what, what's she talking about? Because basically what that means is in that moment, there is no suffering. And this is an important moment. So because then I can ask, I can ask you, like you can think in your experience, have you ever had a moment of pain where there was no suffering? And it's tricky because we will often, especially in English, use the words pain and suffering interchangeably. But what I would like to do here is I want to, us to be a little bit more precise with our language because I think that can be very helpful. So if we are thinking about pain and no suffering, what would that be like? And having taught this so many times, so like examples that people might come up with is like very obvious one, being a gynecologist is what people will say, like when I had my baby, right? There was a lot of pain, but I actually wasn't suffering. Probably not through the whole thing. So let's just be honest about that. But at least for moments, it's just intense. It's very intense, but I don't suffer because I'm not resisting the pain. I know the pain is good and I... Right, need to have my baby, so like this is how it works. Another example is like people who do weightlifting, right? So, weightlifting is very painful, and what happens is if you don't fight it, you just know this is what you want to do, you do your repetitions, then there is no suffering in the mind. Um, not, I mean, there are, there are a lot of examples, so like if you get, let's say, you get a tattoo. Right. Another thing where people inflict pain on them, themselves, but they do it. They want it. They like it. And so they're willing to actually have that pain. So and I'm giving you these examples to show you that we actually can have pain. And if the mind is not resisting, then it's just the pain. And we're not adding this other layer on top of this. So, of course, where this all is coming from is, and this is probably, again, just a recap for you, um, is what we call like the secondary, the primary and the secondary um, pain or suffering, right? So, goes back to a classic teaching of the Buddha with the two arrows, where basically the first pain is like you're being pierced by an arrow and it's very painful. And instead of just taking care of that arrow saying like, how can I get rid of it? Like what we do is like, we take basically a second arrow, the arrow of like the judgment and the resistance and stab it into the same place and go like, ow, ow, ow. And then of course, like now we have twice the pain. And what we do in our practice 
practice a lot is seeing like, so what is actually the pain that is here that is painful? And what am I adding on top of this? And I come back to this concept a little bit later. So that was already quite a lot of input. I hope that is um, so far you're still um, you're still with me with this. So I'm just taking a moment here right now. So allowing you to maybe just feeling your your um, seat again, feeling your body. Taking a breath. So when we're working with pain in general, so if we're just looking at the bigger picture is what, oh, what is the most important really is that kindness um, overrides everything. Right. So because sometimes so now like what I've just taught you, you know, teach you some more that sounds a little bit like, oh, this is a technique. So like the step one, two, three. And if we apply it as a technique, it can become a little bit rigid or just something that we like add on top of the pain. What we really want to address is like the first thing is like there's pain and pain deserves compassion. And it doesn't matter whether it's somebody else's pain or it's my pain, right? So pain deserves compassion. So when I'm noticing that I'm in pain or I'm in pain again, I think the most important thing to remember always is to ask first is like, what is the kindest thing to do here, right? So um, Tara calls it like, what do you need the most or what does this part needs the most right now? And if we're coming from this place, what we will realize that it's we're not always in the right place to actually work with mindfulness or apply our techniques. So I think sometimes actually the kindest thing to do is to go read a book or watch your favorite Netflix show or just do what you know helps you to calm that nervous system down. To have a very agitated nervous system is really, really hard to be with. And we also have to be very honest that these teachings with mindfulness, they also have their limits. I was talking to a very, very experienced Dharma teacher recently who who went through really horrendous cancer pain recently. And he said at some point the pain levels were so high, his mindfulness just went out of the window, which was a very humbling experience. So I think we have to be careful, like if we're saying like, oh, the mindfulness can always be there. Like I had never had that level of pain, but I found that very um, eye-opening. And what it's important, again, it's just like, can we be compassionate, like if we cannot be mindful because the pain is just too intense. So just having said this, um, then at other times we might notice that we are more resourced, right? So again, just maybe we slept better. Maybe um, work isn't so stressful. Maybe, I mean, I don't know what happens, but like we know like, okay, so today is actually a moment or right now is a moment where I can look a little bit more into like what is going on with the pain. And for this, what I would like to introduce to you is something that um, um, 
we call in, in mindfulness and uh, MBSR, we often call this like the triangle of awareness. So again, this is these are all concepts that you've heard before. So we can break our experience down in most moments into three parts, right? So we have physical sensations, we have emotions, and we have thoughts, right? Again, so here would be my whiteboard, I would write thoughts emotions, physical sensations. The physical sensations and the emotions overlap in the part of the body, right? So just to be very clear, so for example, if I run up the stairs and I have an elevated heart rate, that would be a physical sensation. If I'm anxious and my heart rate goes up, that would be part of an emotion, but they share the body. And what happens when we're in pain, and especially when we're in chronic pain, right? So basically what that means is chronic pain means I've tried everything to get rid of this pain, and the pain is still here. Maybe I had several surgeries. Like maybe I have used like every healthcare provider, spiritual energy healer, like anything, like Eastern, Western, whatever medicine, and I'm still in pain. So what that means is to this moment, I'm not just bringing the actual physical sensation, right? So when I go back to my equation earlier and I say pain, so what I'm doing now is I take this pain and I take that out and say like, so let's look at this pain because people with chronic pain, what they often do is they put the pain into a box label it pain and try to not go there again. And especially if that is a chronic thing that is ongoing all the time. So people come into my classes will often say, well, the pain is always there. I say like always, they say, yeah, always. And then it turns out they actually, they don't check it anymore, right? Because they have this idea, this is what the pain is like. And because it's so well, painful and hard to be with, they don't want to touch it. They don't want to touch it, which is so understandable, of course, right? So when we feel a little bit more resource, what we do is then we go, we take that box, we open it, and then we look inside. And what we see is these three aspects of experience, physical sensations, emotions, and thoughts what we call the story, right? So because the pain has a story. So let's start with the actual physical sensations, right? So what we do is, or let's look one step back. So when we look at these three components, what we do is we will ask, so which of these actually ask the most for my attention right now? right? Is that really, is that maybe the emotion right now? Is that really the physical pain that feels very strong and overwhelming? Or like, am I caught in the storyline? So if I would make a pie chart out of these three, I could ask, so which pie piece is the biggest right now? And this is where I would start working with it. And the idea is that I don't have to work with the entire pain at the same time, but I start to break it down and that makes working with it a lot more manageable. So when I work with the physical sensations, I can really go into and say like, so where do I actually feel it right now? And is that, how big is it? Is it, does it feel hot or is it stabbing, searing? Is it a pressure? Is it like, like 
needle picks is like somebody is doing something with a knife. And so what I do is I have to be like, become like kind of really quiet and turn into where I feel the pain. And then when I do this and I can describe that and label it, right? So we've done the practice of labeling, right? So what happens is if I do that over time, what I notice is that the experience of the physical pain changes. It's not always the same. And that can be quite an insight for people because they notice it's like what I thought is the pain, which is always there and it's never changing and it's horrible. It's actually, it's quite fluid. It gets bigger, it gets smaller, and it might also be gone at times. So that is really important, right? And because when I can really get a sense of the impermanence piece, in the sensations of the pain, that means if they're not impermanent, that means they can go away. Or I will even notice that at times they might not be there, even though I was totally convinced it's always there. And I've heard that so many times. And when I can do that, if I can experience that the pain is very small or like not there at moments at a time. What happens is really this whole teaching that I have to be with it only really one moment at a time. And that means right now I'm being with pain, but that also means at the next moment or maybe even in the same moment, I can also be there being with joy or being with space or being with beauty or all the other things that often feel so um, elusive when I'm um, in the midst of a chronic pain episode. So if I'm working with emotions, right? So you've done a lot of, of that with Tara, right? So you all know the RAIN acronym, so I won't go into that again. And it's very helpful. And one thing... Um, what I often experience in working with people with chronic pain is the hardest part really is, is to acknowledge that there's often a lot of grief and anger against the pain. So grief about things that I maybe can't do anymore that I was able to do, but I never allowed myself to actually feel that because it feels that that is like giving up or giving over to the pain, or um, making space for the pain, which I don't want. So there's a lot of, often like a lot of grief and sadness coming up, and of course, anger, right? So often when we suffer from chronic pain, we're really angry at the body because the body has betrayed us. Like the body should do its job, and it's not doing that anymore. So that is a really big important component and to um, when we are caught in these emotions, of course, what will happen is that will bring up more resistance against the pain, which in turn will make the suffering worse and how we experience the pain because the pain then becomes kind of a symbol of our failure to get rid of it of our lost life, of our lost stories, right? So huge things can be caught up emotionally around the pain when it comes up. And then the last thing is the thoughts or the story. And that, that is a, um, a really central component because we all, when we have chronic pain, is that we have a pain story. 
And the pain story means that the pain story is like whatever happened before, right? So why I'm here at this time still having this pain. So all the surgeries, the procedures, how that happened, maybe the accident, like who was it, whose fault was that? Like all these things, they come into this moment and here they are, right? And then what also comes is at the same time is what does that mean to me going forward into the future? What does that mean to me now as, as a parent, like as a professional, as like things that I can't do? What does that mean to my job? All the lost days at work, like these things, like the extra money I have to pay, like all the time that it takes. Like some student told me that like having chronic pain is like having a second full-time job just to take care of this, like all the treatments, like the, like the exercise, all the things, and then the money. And so this is a huge or can be potentially a huge thing. So also that comes into the present moment. And so that means in that moment, maybe the pain isn't so big, right? But if I put like this huge pain story on top of it, boy, is that painful. Boy, is that painful. So, of course, what we learn with mindfulness and compassion <clears throat> is we learn to step away from that, to let go of the story, to release, to say like, okay, so those are thoughts. I don't have to go there. I don't have to follow them. I don't have to believe them right now, right? And so what I can do in that moment is to really say like, so what is really here in this moment? Maybe there's a little bit of physical pain. Maybe there's sadness, right? But the, so I can look at all these three dimensions. And I will tell you a um, short story um, from one of um, the students I had in class. And so um, she was a young woman who suffered from uh, irritable bowel syndrome. And she came into one of the classes and she was obviously in very bad pain, very bad shape. And feeling horrible, didn't really change much during our first meditation in class. And then when we shared, she was just saying like she was just having a new flare up and she was so scared. And and then at some point I, um, I asked her and said like, if um, somebody who had never had your symptoms before would feel this, so what would they, what would they make of that? And then she paused for a moment, closed her eyes, felt into her body. And then we could all see like her face change and she started to cry. And she said, they think they would think they have an upset stomach. And what she realized in that moment was that like her pain, her main pain was actually the pain story. So the actual physical pain in that moment wasn't so bad. Not that I'm saying like having an upset stomach is great, but it's an upset stomach. It's unpleasant and you know it's going to pass. And because you know it's going to pass, you relate to it in a different way. Right. But if you have IBS and you have these symptoms, what happens is you go like, oh, my God, the last time that happened, I missed a, a week of work again and they might kick me out and I can't do this anymore. Right. And I had to take medication and I had such bad side effects from these medications. So all of that happens and comes on top of the physical pain in that moment. 
And what we do with these practices is we can see this. We can see how the mind makes a lot of the actual pain. And then we can become still and notice and say, like, how can I be with this right now? And there, of course, the compassion, the self-compassion practices really help. And the self-compassion practices, what they do is they say, like, this is really hard right now, right? So this is really hard. And then what we can do is we can then, it can be helpful, like this is something you can experiment with in your own practice or with students, is in the second step is to say, yes, and this is what it feels like to have a flare-up of IBS, to have a messed up shoulder, right, that isn't getting better. And what we do in that moment is, you can see by my wording, right, so I'm not saying like I'm having this, but this is what it feels like. And what I do is I open up into what we call the shared humanity, the shared humanity of just like, yes, and there are thousands of other human beings who feel quite similar in this moment, who know this experience, right? And then we can kind of relax back and saying, like, this is not my fault. That I suffer from this, that this is hard for me, is not my fault. And can I be kind to myself? Can I stay with this with kindness? Can I stay with this with compassion? And then um, just as a last um, thing to share with you before we go into our Q&A, which is related to this piece that I just mentioned, the shared humanity is... Um, Basically, what is pain? If we're thinking about what is pain, pain is a very, very effective way of the body to tell the brain, pay attention, there's something wrong here, right? So boy, does pain get our attention. And if you think about it from an evolutionary point of view, it makes total sense. If you can't feel pain, you're in trouble. Right. If you if that is not avoiding pain is like your top priority or one of the top priorities of survival, then you're dead. Right. So that works great with acute pain, but we only have one pain system. So this still goes on when we have chronic pain. And this is where we get in trouble because we can say, thank you, body. You've already told me this and have already done everything. And it's still in pain. So what the brain does is, and I'll show you here. So this is one of my favorite toys. This is called a Hoberman sphere. So the Hoberman sphere is, so let me show you, like it opens up. You can get an idea, right? And it goes back down. And this is a fantastic, this is actually a really great visual for the classroom. Like everybody loves this, um, to see this. And um, so this is how attention works, we could say, right? So the mind has the capacity to focus, right? So that is what we do when we focus on the breath. So we go all together, breath is in here. Everything else is still there, but we're not paying attention to it, right? So let's say this is our pain, okay? <laughs> so pain, here's pain. What does the mind do? 
goes all around it, right? So you've had that experience. If you stub your toe, it's like you're just toe, like you're nothing else anymore. If you ever hurt shoulder, then it feels like you're just your shoulder. And the problem with that is that this actually happens for people with chronic pain is everything else is kind of obliterated. And this is often what it feels like. It feels like I'm a walking painful shoulder and nothing else matters. So what we do with our practice is we are opening it, right? So if we're opening it, so we could say, so this is focus or this is concentration. And this is attention. So it's a little bit more open. We have a little bit more in here, right? And you can see, hope you can still see the pain. <laughs> All right. And then what we do is we open it more and more because that is one thing that we learn with our mindfulness practice. We learn to concentrate. We learn to pay attention. And at some point, we also learn how to rest in what we call open awareness or choiceless awareness. Yeah, you get the point here, some pain. All right. So what happens to the pain? Well, the pain is still here. Pain actually hasn't changed, but I have changed, or not even I, but awareness has changed. So right now, other than the pain, what is also in here is, right? So there's everything beautiful in here. There's the rest of my body in here. That's the other thing, right? The pain might actually be just like, I don't know, 5%, 1% of my body, but because my mind is so focused on it, my mind tells me it's 100%. And if I can learn to say like, honey, yes, I have a painful shoulder, but actually the rest of my body is fine, that can already make a big difference. So the pain is, so basically the teaching, coming back to the teaching of the Buddha, teaching of mindfulness, however you want to call it, it's like it's not about the size of the pain, is how much space can we make around it? Right, so classical teaching with this is like if you put a tablespoonful of salt in a glass of water, I'm sure that was not the traditional Buddhist teaching. I'm not sure they really didn't have glasses, right? But if you take, well, if you do that, it's very salty. You take the same tablespoonful of salt, put it into a lake. It's fine, right? So our practice actually is a lot about like how much space we can make around it. And that is a very, very powerful teaching because there might be nothing you can do with this. Right. So what is what is your choice here? You can learn how to be with this in a different way. And then what you really learn with that is that you are not your pain. Right. There may be pain in your experience in the present moment, but you're not defined by it. You're so much more and you're so much bigger and you have so many possibilities to be with um, pain, physical pain and emotional pain. And I think I will just leave it here. I'm sure that, um, yeah, there are hopefully some questions or clarifications that would be useful at this point. So I'll give it back to Steve. Thank you. Yeah, we're getting a, a few questions coming in. I, I invite everybody watching to, to keep sending them in and we'll get to as many as we can tonight. So. The, the first question I want to start out with came in very early on. Um, have you come across individuals who want to substitute meditation for medication? That seems like a potential minefield. How have you worked or instructed these individuals, or what, what advice might you offer to us new teachers? Um, 
Yeah, I think I kind of touched on that. Um, maybe the question came in before that, that it actually, it is a balancing thing. So what I think in general, what is very, very important for emotional and also for physical pain is that um, often people come in and say like, I want to get rid of my pain medication and this is why I want to learn meditation. And I say, great. But we start with you have to train that muscle and you have to see how it works. And it really um, works really well together. The thing is, especially with pain medication, is that, of course, it has an effect on the central nervous system. So, like, you feel tired, you feel kind of spaced out, right? So people most, or a lot of, let's put it this way, a lot of people don't like the effect of pain medication on their um, state of mind or how alert they are. So um, they actually love to be able to lower their pain medication with mindfulness and as I said this is a very fluid process was that answering the question yeah I think that extra uh, that you added on around that was was very helpful you know it's it's come up in a few different ways and I know you've, you've touched on it but I want to offer maybe another chance to kind of consolidate some of the things you've touched on and that's um, you've touched on emotional pain and physical pain and there there are a few questions coming in that are um, if I might aggregate all of them if when a when an individual confuses the two when they confuse their emotional pain uh, or their physical pain for emotional pain, have you ever come across that? Is that is that something that uh, you know should be on individuals' radars as they're they're working with people in this field, or is is that is that not quite a thing? <laughs> Yeah, thank you. That's actually a really great question because that comes very regularly because the mind and the body are not separate. And we do feel emotional pain very often on a, in a physical level. I mean, we don't talk about like a heartache or a heartbreak that often like really hurts physically. Like if we had like a great personal loss, like we often have a, like a sense of like pressure or really, really pain in, in the heart area. And um, so it can be very helpful. So like it's the, um, often the pain that is like emotional pain that shows up in the body is not so, um, I hope the word is right, like circumscript. So it's, it's more like a diffuse, it's like in a particular area, and often that area also has some meaning that is related to the emotional pain. What is very important is that we never give a student like kind of the message of like, oh, it's just in your mind, because that is very, very insulting, right? Like I've heard people say like, oh, um, like a tranquilizer really makes your pain go away. Therefore, you're, it's just emotional pain. It's not really physical pain. And I think that is such an insult to the student because the pain is real. Like emotional pain is just as real as physical pain. So we have to be like very, um, very gentle and very careful here. So this next question, uh, the person writes in that they have a passion for um, bringing mindfulness to children. And their, their question is centered around how have, have you worked with children or how might you recommend adapting this language to work with children? What are some, some challenges that they should be aware of when bringing this uh, to a younger audience? 
That is a very interesting question. And I really have to say, like, I have not worked with children with pain. So I honestly cannot offer any adaptations for that. And I'm, I'm thinking like on top of my mind, I can't even think of anybody who works with with children with chronic pain. But that might be a really great resource like for the entire community. So if anybody is out there who either does that or knows of somebody, that would be really great if you could share that with us. So moving on to our, our next question, we've got a few more coming in. Uh, they're coming in uh, slowly. We've got a couple coming in here. Um, when when someone gets stuck in their process of working with pain, this person asks, um, what in your experience is the cause of getting them stuck? You know, I, I know you mentioned that the, the grief and the anger is a big part of it, but have you come up to other roadblocks that, that uh, you know, these new teachers might, might experience and be able to see and, and help people get around uh, as blocks to working with pain? Yeah, I mean, like, first of all, a lot of people actually come into the class because they say, I want to get rid of my pain. So that is a great first uh, first motivation to get started working with this. The thing is that um, for most people, the pain will not go completely away. Right. So that is mm, not necessarily something I might say in the first class. Um, because we don't want to lose people because at this point, what they think is that they can only be happy when the pain goes away. And what I've really learned over the years is like, um, you can live a very, very happy life with quite high levels of chronic pain. The thing is like, again, like we have to be with this only one moment at a time. And that is what our practice teaches us, right? So we're not learning how can I be with this pain for the rest of my life because I can't because the pain is changing and my mind is changing. So it's this moment and this moment and this moment. And if people, um, they will often not understand if you tell them this is that like, oh, you have so much more like, um, joy of living and you have so much more happiness and your world would get bigger again. Like this is not what they want to hear in the first class. So let them just say what they need to say and teach them, like teach them by inspire them to actually practice and then fine tune um, as they, as they come back. So I think that is a really important piece. And then what very often happens is that people um, at some point, because like when we um, ask people to look at their story, so people with chronic pain very often identify very strongly with being the pain patient, right? Especially if you work in, in, a, in a clinic or in a hospital setting. So these people, they, they are, I mean, some, some of them are full-time patients, Patients, they're not doing anything else. But even people who are um, managing their pain, right? Because we have learned, right? This is just how the ego works. The ego will make, of course, an identification out of like, I'm the person who's in pain. And because I'm the person who's in pain, I do these kind of things. I don't do these kind of things. And I get upset when people do or don't do or say or don't say something like this. And that takes um, 
well, a lot of practice and love and compassion to untangle this. And like one question is like, sometimes I will ask people, like usually do that one-on-one, but um, when I feel that they're ready, I will just ask them, I say like, Peter, why are you so loyal to your suffering? And then Peter would go like, what? (laughs) Because, right, Peter is obviously in class because he wants to get rid of his suffering, right? But what he notices at some point, and obviously just using Peter as a whatever example, and that this whole story, again, like you've heard this many, many times over the last few months, it's like, who would I be if I wouldn't have this pain? Who would I be if I would relate to this in a different way? And so that is actually something where people get stuck a lot at that point when they start seeing practice gets stronger. And they say, so how about letting go of that story? And they go, wait, 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 right? So, so not ready yet. And then, then it's really important for you as a teacher to hold them in a loving way and um, support them in their process there. Got two more questions that I, I want to get to tonight in our, our remaining time here. Um, the first one uh, is is kind of the the behind the scenes as as a teacher, and it asks you as a teacher helping people with pain have probably heard some very challenging stories. What are some of the resources that you've used for remaining present and centered for those individuals in the midst of these really difficult stories? Thank you. That's a really, really great question. Um, And I think that is something that we all have to pay attention to. It's like, how much are we taking stories home? And that is something that I actually learned uh, during my um, medical training and my residency, and not because anybody taught me that. I think it was just like a life survival skill. Um, But I learned to... um, be in the present moment and to, and this sounds weird and um, not to be too empathic. And what I mean, very compassionate, but not too empathic. And what I mean by that is like not stepping too much into that person's shoes, which then will bring like the whole full pain experience that they're experiencing up for us. Right. So we can be um, really use our mindfulness practice to be more in this like witnessing open and compassionate state to be fully there for them, but not to feel. And this is, of course, super hard for a physician or anybody who has a fixing bug um, and has a profession who fixes people. Right. So to feel or notice when you're want to jump in and fix because then you make it as a mindfulness teacher, we're not fixing. Like I'm not, a, I'm not a physician when I'm sitting with people with mindfulness, right? So I'm just witnessing and I trust that they have what it takes in them. And so what I'm just doing is I show them, like I'm kind of pointing in a direction and I'm here with them so that they can discover what is already in them. And what is really important is to um, keep in mind that there's a huge difference between curing and healing. Curing might not always be possible. Healing is the experience of experiencing yourself as a whole being, right? 
and that can nobody can take that away from you no disease can take that away from you and this is what we're also practicing with our practice and to be able to witness this is something very empowering right so it's these things it's like if we can see what actually happens to a person in a little bit of a different light and then on a very practical level is to see if you need a ritual like so if i heard a really horrendous story horrendous story like what i will do is i will afterwards so my thing is like i make a ritual if i leave work or leave like the situation i will like um do this right so i actually like will take it off where i will shake it off that helps me it's very helpful for, for you if you have something um if you have to work with people in that way to actually have a ritual for yourself where you don't go home without doing that like i really trust in the power of ritual there mm. Thank you. And joy, joy practice, joy practice, right? So don't, that's so, so easy. Like, because if you hear these stories, like all day long is it can feel like, oh, the world is a bad place. And then we forget that, like, you step outside and the sun is shining and you'll be with your kids or your loved ones. And you really take that in and you do that as a sacred duty to then go back and be able to witness some more of the pain. Excellent. Thank you. So the, the last question uh, that I want to, to share tonight, and it, it came in early and there's a, there's a, I feel that this person's asking this question coming, I feel the suffering coming through here. Uh, they ask, I'm a bit nervous when my first student asks me in a moment of frustration, why do I have to experience this pain? What advice can you offer? Because it's here. And there is no reason for that, right? And it's actually quite a common question. And this is really like, we show up for our own pain and we show up for their pain and we make it very clear it's not their fault. And pain is part of the human experience. Like this is like the first noble truth, right? There is dukkha, whether we like it or not. And um be with them in a loving way. Say, like, I'm sorry you're hurting and I can't make your pain go away, but I'm here with you. I'm here with you. We do this together. You're not alone. Because I think like the worst thing actually is not actually having the pain, but feeling I'm alone with that. Hmm. Well, thank you. And on that, we'll conclude tonight's broadcast of our mindfulness meditation teacher certification program christiana thank you so much for being here with us tonight thank you for sounds true i'm steve lassard thank you for being with us